Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics right here on Blog Talk Radio. Than her rapist. 
It's absolutely insane. That's insane. That, that is very insane. They added that uh, accepting cases of uh, rape and incest, because when uh, um, I was last discussing this bill, that had not been uh, um, added. Uh, and uh, the, the bill made abortion, even in the case of rape and incest, uh, a felony. Uh, you know, th- there's, there's a case at the moment of a girl who's 11 years old. She's been raped. And she is unable to obtain an abortion. The thing is, being raped is absolutely horrifying, and I wouldn't wish it upon anyone. But by being forced to carry the baby to full term, she has a daily reminder of the violence which was inflicted upon her. And I do not understand why anyone would want to subject an 11-year-old to something like this going to absolutely destroy her life. It, it's right. really, really upsetting. Um, and then there right. are these other cases of um, if, if a woman's raped and she decides to keep the baby, then the rapist can then turn around and insist on visiting rights. Yes. Uh, now, I, I don't understand some of these laws at all. This doesn't make sense. Uh, if you, uh, I'll, I'll share a story that'll take us a little bit off the the, the topic, but just uh, uh, to preface where I'm coming uh, from with this uh, question, uh, I worked in uh, hospitals years ago, and I created rehabilitation uh, uh, programs uh, in for inpatients and outpatients, and I also taught lots of students uh, up to eighty a semester, mm-hmm. um, and. When I would assign them to uh, psychiatric units or uh, programs running within the hospital, uh, they would all remark after a while that the way that uh, people were uh, processed and the way that people were discharged and the way that people were treated while in the hospital um, contradicted every model they had of uh, how healing takes place on a psychiatric uh, level. Um, And... uh, um, we would discuss this uh, for many weeks, and then I would show them how insurance companies pay for hospitalizations. And all of a sudden, all of these uh, bizarre, seemingly bizarre decisions made perfect sense um, because somebody was kept in the hospital enough where if they discharged them when they came back, uh, it would count as a new hospitalization and the hospital could bill for it. Um, so... Um, and because if they came back too soon, it would count as a part of the old hospitalization and, uh, you know, the hospital could stand uh, to lose uh, revenue. And they were often put in the same circumstances that brought them back to the hospital, brought them to the hospital in the first place and would bring them back to the hospital. So if you looked at it with that uh, graph in mind, uh, the way that people were uh, treated uh, in, in terms of acceptance and discharge from hospital made perfect sense. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm looking at this, and uh, I, I don't assume that people are, um, you know, stupid or, you know, because I see a lot of that going on uh, in the Internet. There's a lot of name-calling. Uh, I really don't see people as being uh, unintelligent, but I, I begin to ask myself, maybe what we're looking at is not what they're looking at. And what exactly are they looking at? And I've, I've had lots of conversations trying to get this from the other side. And uh, what comes up after some talking 
um, after a while is that um, you know basically models of like eugenics and race survival and uh, you know that uh, people some people are concerned that the birth rate for white people is declining and uh, that in a short period of time and this varies from 20 to 60 uh, years again depending on who you speak to uh, the the uh, Caucasian people will be a minority in this country so that I, seems to I, be an underlying fear that's, that motivates a lot of this. So even though we're talking about abortion, uh, in longer conversations, we're actually talking about a lot of issues that go beyond abortion. That, that's actually that's, quite that's an interesting point, point because, because we look at the, 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 um, the senators who voted for this particular law, um, mm-hmm. this bill, say, that they were 25 white Republican men. Um, so the thing is that they're, they're all men, they're not women. So here we have a case right. of men making decisions for women and women having to roll over and put up with what they're being, what they're being exposed to. Now, the thing is that they're all white. Um, and people in, people in office tend to come from fairly wealthy backgrounds. Now, those who will be targeted most by this particular bill and to be poor people and particular poor colored people. Because the thing is, if you're wealthy and white, if you want to have an abortion, you can just go to another state and, and obtain an abortion there. But if you're poor, you do not have that option. So again, you've, you've got a case of um, the poor and colored people being marginalized. Being, right. being mistreated. So there is definitely this r- racist um, component inherent within the um, within what's happening in Alabama. So how would we, as uh, individuals with conscience, uh, who need to take some stand because we cannot allow these type of laws to continue because. Uh, um, you know, people are losing their uh, um, inalienable human rights, and we are going backwards. And uh, women are becoming property again. Um, and uh, it, 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 it's horrible. It has to be stopped. Exactly. Um, exactly. Um, the thing is, what's actually happening is that um, we're assigning a value to the fetus as being greater than that of the mother the fetus's life seems to be more valuable than that of the mother. The thing is, you've got all these people who call themselves pro-lifers, but they're actually pro-birthers. All they're interested in doing is forcing women to carry babies to term and then give birth to them. Once they've given birth, they don't particularly care what happens to the baby. They're not interested in providing health or education or any other um, forms of assistance for the baby or, or for the mother. It's like once once the birth takes place that the mother and child are abandoned. Um, so the thing I find puzzling about all this is that when you go through the Old Testament, these people who are making decisions tend to be Christians. Um, mm-hmm. They the the Old Testament God was very brutal towards towards children. There are cases of um, I'm just going to give you a quotes. I'm trying, I'm trying to find them here. Okay. Um, 
in 2 Kings verses 8 to 12, um, people are instructed to dash their children and rip up their women with child. So we're talking about ripping up pregnant women. Again, same sort of thing in 2 Kings verses 15 to 16. All the women therein that were with child be ripped up. In Hosea verses um, chapter 13 verse 16, their infants shall be dashed in pieces and their women with child shall be ripped up. And then there are other numerous quotes um, where the Old Testament gods um, instruct people to um, grab babies and, and smash them against the rocks. Um, so he obviously, the Old Testament God does not seem to have any respect for life at all, definitely not right. amongst children. And I was actually going to point out that um, a very similar sort of mindset occurs in ancient Greece as well. Do you mind if I go off on a bit of a tangent here? Oh, no, please do so. Okay. I um, in the, 19- this the first of many shows where we address this. On our political show the other day, uh, this issue came up uh, as well, and the, um, the, the consensus of the uh, people speaking was that we're not addressing the right issues in our public uh, dialogue. We really have to define what is life, what is death, um, you know, before we can uh, start uh, a program. There seems to be um, a, I, a problem with the uh, with the block talk radio too. I was just informed we only had ninety seconds, which isn't true. Yeah. Um, so what it comes down to is when does life actually begin? Um, the Old Testament seems to imply that life begins with the first breath. That's when a baby first has values. To the Greek, right. it was actually a, a little bit older than that. So. I was just going to talk about um, a particular case. Back in the 1930s, the Athenian Agora, which is the marketplace in the center of of ancient Athens, was excavated. And the archaeologists found a well which was carved into the bedrock. And it contained the skeletons of 450 dead infants, along with 150 dogs and puppies, and the skeleton of one adult with some serious physical deformity. They also found pottery shards. When they dated all the material, they found that it dated to between 165 and 150 BCE. So we're talking about the end of the Hellenistic period following the conquest of Alexander the Great and shortly before the time when the Romans invaded Greece. Now, the Mm -hmm. thing is that all these babies appear to have died naturally and they were less than a week old at the time of death. About a third of them died of bacterial meningitis, which is an infection of the brain and surrounding tissues often caused by cutting the umbilical cord with an unsterile object. And it's actually still a common cause of death in some parts of the third world. Now, the thing with meningitis is that it leaves recognizable marks in the skull bones. You can actually spot it. So regarding the remaining two-thirds, they probably would have died of various other causes such as dehydration from diarrhea or something else which don't leave a stamp on the skeleton. So the thing is that these babies are all died, were all dumped in a well after they died. So the question is why? Now, what they did in ancient Greece was exactly what they did in Rome, and that is that children weren't considered full individuals until a special ceremony took place when the child was roughly a week or 10 days old after birth. So at that time, the child would be given their name, so, and the head of the household 
would then decide whether or not to rear the child. And if you decide to rear the child, the child becomes a citizen, child's given a name, and then the child has value. Before then, the child has no value. So if the child dies of some sort of disease, they just tossed it into a well. It had no value whatsoever. Um, the thing is that if he decided to not rear the, rear the baby, it could be either because of some sort of deformity or the family was too big or the mother was unmarried. Sometimes an unwanted baby would be left out in the public place in the hopes that it would be adopted. So quite often people would go off and they'd find these abandoned babies, take them back home, and then raise them to be slaves. Okay. Um, so again, the, the point is that a baby had no value until it was 10 days old. The thing with these abortion laws is that they're talking about life starting with the first heartbeat and that's detectable at five or six weeks and quite often the mother has no idea that she's pregnant at the time even the bible says that that, that life starts with the first breath but yet they're talking about um this this fetus which isn't technically considered to be alive as far as the ancient greeks are concerned or as far as the ancient hebrews are concerned having more value than its mother right and this is this is the thing that really throws me so a, a lot of christians like to think that they're doing the right thing and opposing abortion but yet the bible has nothing to say against abortion absolutely nothing in case you know in fact it almost seems to be pro-abortion if you look at all those quotes yes that, that's been pointed out uh, several times in, in different forums uh and we can be said to be uh, spiritually motivated in what we do. We're theurgists, and yes. uh, we follow the ways of Olympus. That's where our uh, spiritual compass uh, uh, points. Uh, and yet I've yet to encounter um, anybody whose spirituality is, is Olympian um, judging and condemning and trying to uh, enslave uh, uh, people through uh, our belief system. And you're right. The holy writings that uh, their belief systems are based on contradict what they're saying. So they're not even following those uh, religious systems. There's no arguing or uh, debating the issues because they're, they're, they're not grounded on anything unless it's convenient. Exactly. It's, it's like they're, they're making the rules up as they go along. Um, if they had specific verses that they could point to, then maybe I could understand. But then the other issue is that we should have a separation of church and state in our society. We shouldn't be bringing in, in this case, biblical teachings. Like there are, there are these people who are trying to introduce a theocracy into America. And I remember this was an issue that um, Obama actually actually touched on. He um. Um, he discussed the idea of people trying to introduce a theocracy, pointed out that you've got all these different Christian groups and they argue over um, the, the meanings of particular verses. So which particular version of Christianity would, be, would we be adopting? What sort of biblical law would we have? The thing is that there's no consensus among Christians. You know, we're far better off sticking with the Constitution, keeping religion out of things, and, and, and taking it from there. The thing is that the 
that the founding fathers fled persecution in England and wanted to set up the fairest system possible where people could practice the religion of their choice without, without, yeah. without, without, any, without any sort of interference from anyone else. But now we're slowly going back to a situation where um, those who are in power in this country are trying to impose their belief systems on others. And the thing is that you know, these draconian abortion laws only make sense if you're coming from an evangelical Christian standpoint. You've got this sort of weird version of Christianity which doesn't seem to have any scriptural basis to it, but you subscribe to it very, very passionately, and then you choose to impose it upon others. And this is the dangerous thing. It's one thing having your own personal views, but once you start imposing those views on others, that's when we all should be um, standing up and paying attention. Uh, indeed, especially given the bloody history of uh, religious uh, persecution uh, in uh, humanity. Uh, it's a history of horrors where people who disagree with you on uh, where we came from, why we're here, what we're, we're supposed to be doing while we're here and where we're going. Um, there, there's the disagreement on those basic uh, things that make one's spiritual journey uh, what it is. And uh, you can be uh, uh, imprisoned, you could be injured, you could be placed in jail, you could be killed uh, for ex- exploring on your own. Exactly. Now, um, what recourse do the people have in Alabama and other places that are? Um, I know this is being fought, um, and I have heard um, it said by people who are much more astute politically than I am that they seem to prepare this in such a way where they want to challenge Roe versus Wade uh, in the Supreme Court. Uh, so this was done deliberately to provoke, deliberately to to attack uh, an existing law. Um, would you be able to provide more insight on that? Like I said, you know, that's what I've heard, and that makes sense to me. Uh, but uh, you might have a deeper insight to share. Um, I'm going to have to disappoint you. I've actually heard the same thing. That okay. it is. Um, it is um, a way of working towards challenging Roe versus Wade. And again, the motivation for it tends to be um, a, more a theological um, objection than, than, than anything else. I don't really have any, any great insight into it. Um, I'm still coming to terms with it. I'm quite shocked by, by everything that's happening. Um, I'm also quite shocked by women who are, supporting what's happened in yes. Alabama. Women who were, um, actually had um, an encounter with, um, with, a, with a woman on social media last night who was very supportive of the roles uh, of what's happened in Alabama, pushing for the idea of um, forcing women to carry babies to full term and then give them up for adoption. And there didn't seem to be any, any compassion or empathy for women who may have been victims of, of incest or, or rape or, or, or something like that. Um, also, you know, the, the thing is that this, there are women out there who seem to be quite happy for women's rights to be taken back and go back to 1900. They, they don't seem to be cognizant of 
how how hard women had to fight to get what rights they have now. And women still aren't equal to men in all areas. That's, no. it's, it's been an ongoing battle. But this is like taking us back to 1900. It's absolutely horrific. It undoes all the work of, of decades of activists. It's actually really... And if people aren't alarmed, they haven't studied the issue hard enough. They, they really need to look into it. Um, what it really comes down to is um, women should have the right to make a decision as to what they're going to do with their own body. They're the ones who have to carry a baby to term or they make a decision to not carry it. Um, I can understand if a woman sort of decides to have a baby and change its mind, then you know that may not be particularly appropriate. But in the cases of, of rape and incest, or even if you find out that a baby's going to be um, um, deformed or, or mentally handicapped in some way, you know, I think that there are definite grounds for, for termination of a, of a pregnancy. I, I support that as well, and I also believe that uh, um, although uh, we can be supportive. Uh, and uh, lend our energies and our attention, our time toward uh, this uh, cause and do our best uh, uh, to fight this. This is something that women need to um, confront and fight as well. Yeah, I think the approach, the approach that we should be using is the sort of approach that we discussed um, in our last episode, that we go through normal channels of um, you know petitions and lobbying and and demonstrating, there was a huge demonstration in Poland where thousands and thousands of women um, demonstrated in uh, because the, the government wanted to take away the uh, the right to have abortions. Um, women should be hitting the streets, and men who support those women, like you and me, should be coming out there with them. Um, right. I agree. We 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 have we have to take action. We have to take action along the usual channels. But the advantage that we have is that we can help push things along a little bit through invoking appropriate gods. And I also remember last time um, I was trying to be very specific in the gods which I was choosing. And um, yeah. And I think it was and I think it was Bruce who um who pointed out that. All the gods have something to bring to the table. So in this case, we were, we were, talk, we were talking about the, um, the, the 12 primary Olympic gods. So we should really be praying to all of them, asking for their help. And, and it is true. All of, them, all of them have something to contribute. I was being way, way too specific. So I, I, I stood corrected in the nicest way possible by Bruce. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's a shame we couldn't get more for you just to, to join us uh, tonight because this is, this is a very uh, important conversation. Right now, uh, it's in the nation's eye. Um, but uh, uh, I'm enjoying this time. We rarely get time to, to have a conversation. <laughs> so this is good because we get to converse uh, for an hour at least. And uh, um, I'm enjoying this uh, very much. And uh, I see a great value in it because uh, um, I intend on taking uh, action um, and uh, together, I think we can come up with something, you know, more powerful uh, to do, um, n- not only like on the uh, political level, but also on the spiritual level as well. Um, I absolutely agree with you. Um, if we could come up 
with a particular ritual for all theurgists to perform, that would be fantastic. But even if we didn't, um, my experience has been that if people attack a particular issue from their own particular angle, then right. we're going to get results. Because in the end, you've got... It's like it's like tiny little tributaries going into a river. At the end, you wind up with a huge torrent, regardless of regardless of how it all starts. Whether we whether we start with one torrent or whether we start with um multiple streams which which come together into a torrent, that the end result is going to be the same. And what I would love to have happen is for people listening tonight thinking, yeah. I want to do something. I want to get involved. And if you're not practicing theurgy per se, whatever modality you're into um, can can be of help. So if you want to practice Wicca or chaos magic or ceremony, whatever, um, just practice to practice various rituals in order to um, turn what's happening around. We cannot allow women to lose their hard-won rights. No, we, we can't allow anybody to lose their, their rights in this country. There, yes. there are many imbalances. There are many uh, injustices that uh, um, are, are not only manifesting now, but have been there throughout our entire history. Uh, and despite all the positive things that uh, have happened in this country and that have emerged uh, as the result of our high ideals, uh, there are still many base things that uh, um, I grew up thinking we had outgrown, and as an adult, I see that we have not. And uh, right now, for whatever reason, uh, they are gaining legitimacy again. Uh, so whereas before, uh, they were shameful beliefs uh, to hold and uh, shameful practices to perform, uh, right now they're gaining acceptance, and it, it seems that our baser natures are are, are getting approval uh, to manifest. And uh, there's an increase in hate crime. There's uh, an increase in uh, um, all sorts of uh, inequity. Uh, and and again, we have to combat this with different uh, images. Um, we're very polarized too, so it, it's hard to avoid the trap of us versus them. And I don't think us versus them will get us to the other side of this. I think we need a, an entirely different way of looking at this and approaching it so that we could resolve it. Um, just further to what you were saying about there being so much more hate speech, one thing that I've become very aware of is um, the way Facebook conducts its business is definitely not transparent. Um, a little bit over a year ago, I documented a um it was it was an anti-fascist ritual and okay. during that ritual the, the facilitator who was of native american background had a swastika which gradually dissolved into nothing so the idea was okay. that you had the swastika dissolving into nothing it was an anti-fascist ritual um it was all about um preserving access to, cl to clean water Native American people and the like. So when I uploaded my photographs, someone reported that I had a that I had a swastika in one of my photos, okay. and I wound up going to Facebook jail. Now, okay, I can kind of understand that, um, even though if you look at it in context, you have the swastika dissolving away into nothing. However, there is actually a Greek site 
that Facebook have allowed where you've got a guy performing a Nazi salute in front of a wall that has a swastika on it. Um, Facebook are also allowing hate speech. We're talking about anti-Semitic hate speech. We're talking about um, homophobic hate speech. They seem to be allowing all that. I just don't understand where they're coming from. The only thing that they're consistent doing is, um, is banning photographs of nipples. And until recently, even if a woman was breastfeeding, they would ban those photos because you'd have an exposed nipple. Yeah, I actually uploaded that to, to my Facebook page not, not, not too long ago, but, but I was sort of upset by that because I was put into jail for uploading a picture of a fading swastika, whereas here you've got a guy performing a Nazi salute in front of a wall with a swastika on it. And Facebook are perfectly happy happy with that and they're saying if you're offended by it, just unfollow the page. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't get it, but it just seems like you said, it seems that the hate speech seems to be far more acceptable, but people are bouncing back um, against it. So for instance, I'm, I'm hearing accounts of um, Chick-fil-A stores being, being booted off university campuses, well at least one university campus, hopefully it'll happen on more university campuses because of their homophobic stance, their, their anti-gay stance. You know, we, we can't really have, can't allow, to, can't allow businesses with that sort of stance. We need to have a society which is inclusive, tolerant, where everyone is treated equally. That's, that's the ideal that we should be aiming for. It might sound utopian now, but I think when we finally no, paint it, yeah. We're all going to be much, much happier. Yeah, I, I agree. We need uh, to, and I thought we did, <laughs> have uh, a uh, uh, set of ideals that we identify as uh, American. And uh, again, we're not there yet, but uh, this is our destination. This is how we see ourselves. Uh, this is how we ideally wish uh, to be. Uh, and we don't seem to have those guiding uh, principles anymore. Uh, people are openly uh, um, committing chicanery and uh, uh, doing things that would have been unthinkable uh, a decade ago. I know it's. Um, I think with the with the current government that we have, um, a lot of people who went underground feel that their time has come. So uh, a lot of white supremacists are coming out and. They're, feel, they're feeling that the time is right for them to start pushing their, pushing their, their hateful agendas. I had read a book, uh, unfortunately I don't have it here with me, but I'd read a book uh, maybe 20 years ago uh, that talked about how uh, the um, supremacist groups are operating underground globally. And uh, I remember when the book was uh, published, uh, a lot of people you know, didn't believe it because it sounded too incredible. And uh, uh, the book's uh, facts have been borne out by what is happening now, and they predicted a lot of what is uh, happening. And uh, that is scary. Uh, if uh, the organization uh, and the movements behind what is currently happening have been in place for uh, decades uh, and are indeed uh, being uh, masterminded by uh, um uh, leftovers from the Nazi regime, uh, we've entered a dark time indeed. I, I have to agree with you. Um, 
the thing is that even though the Nazi regime came to an end, um, uh, you had high-level Nazis spirited off to South America by by portions of the Catholic Church. They were they were given Red Cross Red Cross passports. They came into South America, and Argentina, in particular, welcomed them with open arms. They wanted their expertise in 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 controlling the population. So the the various techniques which they developed still live on. There are people who are still following the um. The, the particular um, the particular MO which the Nazis were using in order to control their own people. None of it's really died out. No, um, no. And, and I was just going to say, we are living in dark times now. Uh, we are indeed, and uh, history will judge us by uh, how we respond to these dark times and what we do about uh, uh, turning them to times that are no longer dark. Yes. And it, it's very sad that the children of those who fought uh, this uh, um, evil um, are embracing the evil and bringing it here. Actually, I might use this as an opportunity to go off on a little bit of a tangent. Sure. Um, when when the, um, the bill was introduced... Um, in Alabama, and Alabama is the 16th state to introduce abortion restrictions since the start mm-hmm. of its year. The bill actually com- compares abortion to the Holocaust. Um, I actually have an issue with that because the thing is that there are various ways that the Holocaust has been distorted or minimized. And this right. is something I've been thinking a lot about over, over the last few weeks. I was very familiar with Holocaust deniers, um, you know, people who basically say that the Holocaust didn't take place, um, there were no death camps, um, all of that was made up, and so there was a little bit of disease in the camps, and the Allies cut off supply lines, and so people in those concentration camps wound up dying. And what they usually do to bolster their case is that they use photographs of show camps these were these were camps which were set up by the Nazis for the benefit of the Red Cross, so that they would yes. bring members of the Red Cross into these show camps. And like there was one one I'm very familiar with is Murnau. There was a um, a, a, ca- a cache of photographs which was found um, a few years ago. So these photographs show swimming pool. Um, they show officers um, acting out a play. So you've got some officers dressed up in um, in military regalia, some officers dressed some officers dressed up in drag. You've got other officers there um, playing musical instruments. So they were heavily into culture, and they their conditions were really good. So when members of the Red Cross would come out, the Nazis would take them into these show camps and say, "See, this is this is how we treat our prisoners." And yet a few miles down the road, you'd have the extermination camps, which were basically um, slave labor camps. And Mm -hmm. they would decide who was worthy of work and who wasn't worthy of work. Those who couldn't work, women and children and and sometimes Jews, would go straight off to the gas chambers. And those who were able-bodied would be put to work. Once they were no longer able to work, then it would be off to the crematoria 
and, and, and the gas chambers for them. Now, the thing is that, so you've got people who deny that this took place, but then you also have Holocaust equivalences. They're people who are saying that whatever's happening here is as bad as the Holocaust. I came across this just recently um, where um, there are Christians who, maintain, who believe that Jesus is coming in the next few years, and they've been believing this for the last 2,000 years, yes. but prior to his return, there will be a time of tribulation. And they believe that that tribulation will be worse than the Holocaust was. But the point is, they're believing in a fable, which may or may not take place, and they're comparing it to something which was real and horrific. In the process, they're undermining the the horror of the Holocaust. The thing is that they're detracting from the deaths of those people. I mean, during the Holocaust, we lost 6 million Jews. We lost yes. 5 million non-Jews. So by that, I'm referring to, um, to, um, to homosexuals, to political opponents, to Slavs, to um, disabled people. You know, this goes on. All these people who, who were decided to be undesirable. And then there were was 24 or 26 million Russians died as well. So a huge amount of people died, and a lot of those people died in suffering. You know, people were forced to engage in labor. Um, there were medical experiments done on people with no anesthetic. Um, people were hung and their bodies hung from, from um, lampposts and the like to serve as examples for others. It was a really horrific time. And to say that what's happening now is equivalent to the Holocaust, just undermines the whole Holocaust. You know, so it, it, in one case that I came across, a, a Christian was claiming that that his friends who are Christian have, have received unkind words from liberals. It's like, how do unkind words compare to, to death caps? They, they obviously right. don't. Um, yeah, another, another thing which, which irks me is a lot of people say that Trump is just like Hitler. Okay. The guy's not a saint, but until he starts, until he opens up death camps and 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 has and forces operations, you know, under no anaesthetic on people, works people to death, you know, he's definitely not Hitler. To compare Trump right. to Hitler undermines Hitler. So for the for the Alabama um, people to state that that abortion is like the Holocaust really undermines the Holocaust. And it's insulting to anyone who lost family during the Holocaust. So that means, you know, most Jews, most people who lived in Europe, um, a lot of people lost family. And those people are being insulted by statements like that. It's very easy to make a statement like that if you're living in America, and we're talking about something that happened on the other side of the world. But, you, but if you actually have family who came from there and you lost family, then remarks like that cut deeply. We have to be cognizant of the power of words and how those words can hurt people. I should get off my soapbox. No, no, no. This is great and very true, and it needs to be contemplated. And it, it, we have to react to this. Um, because if we don't react to this, we're complicit uh, with it. 
And uh, exactly. uh, I'm thinking about what the best uh, way would be. Of course, through our spirituality, that would be one thing by letting our uh, legislators know that we find this unacceptable. That would be another way. Uh, there are petitions, as you pointed out, there are uh, marches. Uh, so there are a lot of avenues uh, available um, that we can uh, follow. And if we do it consistently, even if we do it in different ways, uh, it will have an impact. Um, I know that I've spoken to enough uh, politicians, and now I'm a politician myself uh, to some capacity, uh, to know that uh, uh, people contacting you, uh, and letting you know that uh, something is uh, important to them does influence what happens. And uh, uh, as uh, um, a chairman of the Access for All Committee, which focuses on the enforcement of Americans with Disabilities Act, um, mm -hmm. people call me, a handful of people, and uh, they have things that uh, are going on you know, that uh, bother them. And then it's up to me to investigate those things, to talk to people. Uh, sometimes the problem is solved uh, in a short while, and sometimes it takes a while to find the right person or, or the right committee to uh, address this to. Uh, but the fact is, is that that influences what I do because people are reaching out. And I know that there are formulas. I don't know the formulas for how many polls you get about something, how important it happens uh, to be. Uh, because most people will not call uh, their elected officials. They will not call the people who had committees to let them know what's, uh, uh, you know, what's uh, bothering them or what they'd like to see. Uh, so I've made it a custom, uh, if it's something really, really important, uh, to call my elected officials uh, all the way up to the uh, governor um, and although you won't often speak with the governor uh, or a senator, uh, you'll speak with their office. And, uh, you know, they, they will tell you what action that they've taken. So um, we have that in this country, and that is a great thing to be able to do that. Um, and uh, um, if they hear from enough people, uh, regardless of how they hear from those people, they'll, they'll know that uh, many of their constituents, many more than reached out, feel this way, and they will take action. And we've had politicians on the show tell people that. Uh, independent politicians, Republican politicians, and Democratic politicians, they've all said the same thing, so it does have validity. Yeah, because when it comes down to it, they all want to be reelected. And if they realize right. that they're involved in an issue that's incredibly unpopular, and if you clog up their switchboard with hundreds and hundreds, preferably thousands of calls, then they will sit up and pay attention. If you just sit back and think, well, there's nothing I can do, well, then obviously nothing will be done. But if everyone right. steps up to the plate and does something, and to make a phone call, that's something you can do from the comfort of your own home. Right. So and it won't all, take all you long either. Do is assist people like that, give them a checklist of items which they should mention when they ring, and then basically go for it, make a call. And the thing is, you know, at the risk of stating the obvious, there are some people who wake up every day looking for something to be angry about. And, yes, you know, you can all people like that. But in a case like this, with this bill in Alabama, it's upset so many people. Um, something has to be done about it. When you, ha when you have thousands and thousands of people all upset, venting, venting their, their, um, their, their feelings on social media, then, you know, obviously something has to be done. 
And uh, I posted recently on uh, Facebook that uh, um, I've been rethinking uh, how I can best uh, serve uh, by taking this particular uh, path that I've taken. And I'm at its beginnings, uh, but uh, um, I, I don't want to do what has been done. I want to do something a little bit uh, different. So um, I've decided to dedicate myself uh, to explaining how people can get involved, regardless of what their political stances are, um, how to research issues, how to find uh, uh, who they should contact, how, like you said, to explain it to them. So um, yes. starting in June, I will be doing that just like now and focusing on optimal wellness. That'll be one of the things that I focus on uh, consistently. Um, and uh, here in New Jersey, um, I'm fortunate to have many people who are involved in different levels, and uh, they're full of uh, uh, sage uh, advice, and they know how the system works much better than I do. Uh, so they have suggestions every now and then, uh, and I decided to share those suggestions because anybody could benefit from them. Um, again, we have a voice. We have the power to express uh, uh, how we're feeling, uh, and uh, that too is being threatened. So we need to exercise it, uh, otherwise we will lose it. I, I totally agree with you, and I think the biggest advantage that we have with social media is that it brings people together. In the past, we were dependent on newspapers and what we'd hear on the radio and what we'd see on television. But the thing is, um, as we know, a lot of media outlets... Uh, are in the hands of unscrupulous individuals who would feed us what they wanted us to know. Now we right. have access to sorts of information and information from people directly. I remember a few years ago there were there were demonstrations against Monsanto and they were not being covered by the mainstream news. But people who attended them would would videotape what was happening and then upload those. You could see what was happening. You know, the, the, the genie's ahead of the bottle, and um, we have access to each other. And the thing is, you can have people of like mind coming together. So, you know, you've got this podcast, which gets your word out to various people, but then you can supplement that by, by having a, a presence on social media, bring people to you who feel strong enough about various issues, and then um, we can all come together and work out how we're going to take action. But, you know, the point that I was trying to make before was even if we don't come together and form a unified front, if just knowing that there are other people who are concerned about issues, knowing that there are people who are doing things about them, and if we do what we can as individuals, because we all have a different skill set. There are some right. people who are going to be crafting letters. Some people are, are, are going to be particularly good at going into the streets and demonstrating. Um, different people have different skills. And we all come together and we're all aiming towards the same end. We should be able to make a difference. And uh, you just outlined what I was going to approach you with after the show. Um, I'd like to do a new show on theurgic activism and welcome people who aren't theurgists, you know, whatever label they put on themselves. Uh, um, but it, it will be um, mostly people who are interested in interfaith and uh, people who might call themselves uh, pagans or Wiccans or Olympians. Uh, and um, over a couple of years uh, here in uh, New Jersey, uh, we've developed a network of relationships with people who are also beyond New Jersey where we're opening the doors to our 
of practice in the name of interfaith uh, communication and goodwill. And we found that focusing on the values and our commonalities allows us to freely discuss uh, where we differ in opinion about, again, what, where do we come from? What are we doing here? And where are we going to go? And I'd like to do this on a podcast as, as well. And uh, uh, everyone has different ways of approaching uh, these uh, issues, as you said. Uh, but I think we made a great uh, beginning tonight. And I'd like to do this uh, more regularly where our thoughts and our feelings about certain things that are going on lead to actions uh, that can help change the situation. So uh, uh, if you're interested in doing that with me, I would like to invite you and we could do it once a month. Yeah, that actually, that actually sounds really good. I was getting quite excited listening to that because the thing is that what the 1% are doing is that they're fostering division. They're yes. trying to divide our society. So you've got Republicans versus Democrats versus independents. You've got men against women, gays against straights, um, whites against coloreds. But mm-hmm. the faith is a way of bringing people together. And by bringing people together, we can become powerful. If we can focus on our similarities rather than our differences and work together, we can accomplish great things. I think this is this is really really exciting stuff, bringing people together. Um, I I remember um when Bernie was running, uh-huh. um at the last election, I remember seeing there was a guy in a t-shirt, and the t-shirt read, "I'm a Muslim and I'm voting for the Jewish guy." And I thought, how cool is that? Yeah, because yes. because Muslims and Jews tend to be sworn enemies, and here they are coming together. Um, that that to me is a thing of beauty to bring people together from disparate backgrounds, disparate religions, and the like, bring them together for a common cause. And you know what can be more noble than to create a society where everyone is equal, everyone has a fair right. go. And that that should be our uh, our goal to have a you know that should be like one of our mission statements uh, that that is what we're aiming for. Uh, you know, that ideal that uh, we have as a democracy, that that become an eventuality and uh, a reality for everybody. Um, yes. And yes. Uh, that is definitely something worth uh, spending time and uh, energy on. Uh, here in my local area, uh, we have a holiday uh, parade uh, that is interfaith. And it's been my honor to be the uh, um, grand marshal of that uh, parade for several years now. And I bless the town in the name of uh, Olympus um, publicly once a year, privately always, but publicly <laughs> once a year at the end of the uh, parade. Um, and again, it's, it's very heartening. I'm currently working uh, with a church uh, and uh, a, uh, a Jewish community organization. Um, and not that I push my religion in people's face, but I am openly Olympian. I have been for a very long time. And uh, um, people work with me, and we focus on the needs of our community. And uh, uh, there's even an expression, intensify, we celebrate our differences together. And I found that to be uh, uh, true, and I'm very blessed to be in a place where they do that. Um, one thing that came to me while while you were talking is, we don't want to just form a committee because right. committees, committees come together 
to accomplish nothing. It's basic, they're basically a forum for people to come together to feel like they're doing something, but they're not. So what we need um, are groups of individuals who are doing their own thing anyway to work towards a better society. So everyone's working to the best of their abilities. And then as individuals, we come together, we liaise, we network, and then we can discuss how we can help each other, how we can intensify each other's efforts. So the point is everyone's already working towards the same goal anyway. So the whole process would then become synergistic. The whole would be greater than the sum of the parts because together we'd be able to accomplish far more than we could as a group of individuals. But if we start off by working as individuals, that's a great start already, and we can just build on that from there. I just wanted, to, I just wanted to, to get that in. We can't have just a committee. We have to have um, a, a working group, a working group that's evolving, growing, becoming stronger and stronger. We were so much on the same uh, wavelength, uh, Tony. Um, I will send you a link to my uh, Age of Heroes uh, um, uh, writing. It's, it's, it's very short. It's a few paragraphs, but uh, that's kind of like what guides me. And I will work with uh, individuals, with organizations, with uh, whatever uh, arrangement people choose uh, or none. Uh, because uh, um, I, I belong to several productive committees, by the way, that are very focused on accomplishing uh, the goals that are, are set for them. But I agree, many committees are just, uh, um, you know, basically gathering people together, uh, talking about things and not uh, taking uh, um, action. So uh, we need to do something different and think of ourselves in a different way. And individuals working together is ideally the best way since we want uh, equality for everybody. That type of structure uh, provides it. Um, so uh, um, I looked at the, the clock. We have like three more minutes. And uh, so an hour was an hour was not enough. We were both wrong on that. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> That, that, well, that went very, very quickly. But um, just one thing that came across with what you were speaking, which I really resonated with, was you were talking about having an organic approach where you yeah. don't have any great expectations. You sort of have an expectation of what the outcome's going to be, but how you get there is, is very, very fluid because once you start imposing your ideas on exactly how you're going to go about it, people might think, oh, no, that's not something you want to be involved with. But if they right. realize that it's all fluid, it's all subject to change. It's like, okay, I can get on board with this. And everyone's point of view can be, ta can be taken into account so we can come up with something truly great. Oh, I agree. And uh, I wish you lived nearer. Our Order of the Golden uh, Fleece, which uh, sounds like it's something very structured, is actually very organic and eclectic. And uh, um, even though we honor the Olympian or Greco-Roman Mediterranean tradition uh, in our, our basic structure, it's actually uh, very open to all sorts of uh, uh, belief systems and they, they're being incorporated and uh, um, some of the Argonauts have banded together and, uh, you know, they're doing their own thing. And then we just talk about what we're doing and uh, we're amazed at how everything seems to tie together. And you could you could feel uh, the hands of the gods <laughs> as things wow. move, move ahead independently. When we talk about it together and share information and process, uh, we get the very strong sense that we're part of something uh, bigger. 
Um, and, yeah. uh, uh, and, and again, there's no attempt to impose anything on anybody or uh, a particular way. It's just people have passions. They resonate with certain things. So we go with our resonance. And then we just, uh, um, you know, basically want someone to get together and report that. And then we perform uh, ritual actions uh, to further understand and to further move uh, what we're doing along. And it's been incredible. Yes. And as theatrists, we are definitely a part of something bigger than ourselves. Yes. Because at the end of the day, we're just two ordinary guys. Um, when the whole panel mm-hmm. comes together, we're a group of ordinary guys and one ordinary woman, but we have the God standing behind us. Right. So we can accomplish great things far greater than, than anything that we as mere mortals could accomplish. Very, very true. And we become aware uh, that we are part of a timeless tale that is always uh, uh, playing itself out. And that uh, that is a form of immortality in and of itself, that we're variations of a theme. We're part of a divine story uh, that uh, goes back to the very origins of humanity, if not earlier. Yes. Well, thank you so very much, Tony. Uh, you have been incredibly awesome as a guest. I'm glad we had the opportunity to do this. Uh, and, you flattered uh, me. I, be- I had a lot of fun. We didn't even have any musical breaks, and that hour went like that. Yeah, it, it went phenomenally fast. <laughs> um, actually, uh, my next guest has not uh, signed in yet, so we can continue our conversations if you're up to it, uh, and then yeah, uh, I'll yeah, take yeah. a musical break when they, when they uh, call in. Okay. Now, one of the things that, uh, uh, talking about resonances, um, one of the things that I've discovered in my particular uh, sojourn is that some part of me seems to have a very long view of how I'm navigating through uh, life. And uh, in conversations with people, some of them have the same type of uh, sense. And it's not something that inflates uh, the ego. In fact, it's something very humbling. But I'll give one example. Throughout my life, I've gathered certain books. Whenever I see a certain book uh, on a particular topic, it's, it's a small handful of topics, um, I've been gathering them. And for much of my life, um, these books, though interesting, uh, were not compelling enough for me to like, spend time and master the material. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But now, at this particular point in my life, um, I need all of this information, <laughs> and I have it. And uh, a lot of these books are now hard to find uh, or phenomenally expensive. Uh, so I've gathered this library for what I'm doing now, but I wasn't aware that that's what I was doing. It was just, I, I felt uh, a resonance with the books. I bought them. Again, it was interesting. Uh, and uh, I knew someday when I had time, I'd uh, read them. Sometimes I'd skim through them or read one. Uh, and then as I've cleared my library several times, uh, I did not feel that I should get rid of these books, uh, even though they weren't among uh, the books that I was uh, compelled uh, uh, to hold on to. Um, so, Again, some part of me knew that I needed this information at some particular point. And uh, yesterday I was talking to one of my Argonauts who's opening up an art center, and she was telling us about the art center. 
Uh, and she had a lot of corporate experiences that at the time seemed to be uh, keeping her from realizing her dream. But now that her dream is uh, manifesting and you know, it's taken her decades to manifest her dream, so it didn't just happen right away, uh, and she's had many failures in this process, she realizes that the experiences she had in the corporate world uh, can now all help her to further anchor a dream in reality and, uh, and uh, uh, manifest a greater reality. So th- there seems to be something, something uh, divine that guides us through periods of our life, even when we appear to be lost or even when we're ignorant of you know, why certain things are, are going on. Um, and uh, uh, I feel comforted by that. And uh, I try in my meditations to acknowledge that uh, from a mortal perspective, as you called it, uh, if certain things I'd wanted had happened, my life would be worse, not better. Uh, but from the perspective of whatever it is that's greater, everything did have a purpose. Everything prepared me uh, for the things that I'm currently doing. Okay. My thoughts on the matter are this, that it's always important to work with your intuition. Your Mm -hmm. intuition is basically a product of having access to your higher self. Your higher self um, is seen as either something that is part of you, um, but in ancient times it was thought of as something separate. So the ancient Greeks referred to it as a, as a personal daemon or an no, algoidius. Um, the, um, the, the, uh, the, the book of Abramelin refers to it as the, the holy guardian angel. Um, yes. So the thing is, and in Christian belief, it's, it's an angel that's assigned to us at birth. But whether... It's something that is external to us or within us. Its function is the same, and that is it has the function of linking us with the divine. And by linking with the divine, if we have ready access to the divine, then we can accomplish things or do things that we normally wouldn't think of doing. So, for instance, in a a very mundane example, you walk into a bookstore, and there's a book out there, and it's calling out to you, and it's not something you're particularly interested in now, and you may think it's a little bit on the pricey side, but you're thinking, this may well be important to me at some point in time. Yes. So then you go off, and you wind up grabbing that book. And sure enough, while it may not be what you need at that point in time, quite often in a few years, in a few years time, you'll find that that is the exact book that you need. Now, the other thing is that when you listen to the divine, then you wind up following a particular path. Yes. That is the path that you're supposed to be following. Now, the thing is that if you want to find an approximation to that path, you then look back at where you've been, see all the changes, all the, all the moves that you've had to make to get to where you are now, and then you extrapolate from that point onwards. The thing is that there are various things that have happened to get you to where you are now and the thing is you wouldn't be the person that you are if you hadn't had the experiences that you've had and quite often if you've been in contact with your higher self you would have had the right sort of experiences you would have been in the right situations to to have the experiences that you need to then move on so in the case of your friends who'd had all this corporate experience um, if 
tuned into a higher self in some way, shape, or form, then she would have she would have she would have been where she had to have been to experience things, and then those things she could then tap into um, in order to to further her life. Is that your guest that just came in? Is that that sound? Yes, my guest just came in, but to finish your thought. I'm I'm actually texting him too on uh, uh, Facebook to let him know that uh, after uh, we finish this current thought, uh, that I'll introduce him after a song. Okay, yeah. So it's basically talking about the need to access your higher self or your holy guardian angel. Quite often, it's, it gets abbreviated to HGA and ceremonial magic circles, in order to find the path that you should be on. Um, in Thelemic circles, they refer to your true will, which is the divine path that you should be on. So, so that is distinct from your free will. The thing is that you're free. So in any situation, you have a number of various options, a number of, of roads that you could walk down, but only one of those is the correct way. And if you're tapped, if you're tapped into your HGA, then you can work out that the path that you should be on. And if you do walk along that path, then your life tends to move very, very quickly. It's like, it's like the difference between stepping into a river and swimming with the stream rather than swimming against it. If you swim with the stream, then you have the inertia of the universe behind you. Basically paraphrasing Crowley there. But you know, the lessons that he taught tend to be very applicable to um, how many cultures have accessed their higher self or whatever term they choose to describe it with. Um, but it, it is an integral part of, 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 of the spiritual path. And because once you have access to your higher self, it then takes you to a point. And, you know, if you, if you follow the Kabbalah, you gain, you gain access to your higher self at Tifereth, and then you move beyond you... Um, and then you cross the abyss and you come up at the, at the shores of Bina. The thing is that when you cross the abyss, you're actually dying to the ego. So it's, if you visualize yourself as consisting of a divine spark at your core, at your core then there are these layers of ego, like, like, um, like onion skin over the top. Yeah. It's a matter of peeling that away. So you peel all that away and you find out who you really are. And that's what the spiritual path winds up being. So in, in the Kabbalah, they refer to it as crossing the abyss. Um, Crowley would talk about crossing the abyss and winding up in the city of pyramids. That's how he visualized um, the spear of Vina on, on the tree of life. Um, if you follow St. John of the Cross, um, he would talk about experiencing the dark night of the soul. Because it actually is quite terrifying to die to the ego because... The ego is what we think we are. Yes. But and, and what we think we are, what we really are. It's, it's that divine spark that you want to access to. That's what you really are. Once you have access to the divine spark, then you're in a position to work your way up and then integrate with the divine. And that's an idea that comes up in, in, in many schools, including Buddhism. In Buddhism, it's about being absorbed into the one. And on that note, uh, we're going to have to end our journey tonight, but I want to continue this particular conversation. So um, let's schedule that um, and, uh, because that is, uh, that is a lifelong topic <laughs> and uh, it deserves more than a few minutes. 
Uh, thanks yes. again, Tony. You're awesome. And uh, I'm very grateful that we had this opportunity to talk, and it's opened up many doors. So I'm grateful for that as well. No, Hercules, you, you're you awesome. <laughs> Have a well, great evening, you. and thanks for having me on the show. And I look forward to having you on again. Uh, be well, my friend. And, uh, I, again, I'm, I'm happy to be on board. Talk to you soon. Okay, take care. Bye. Bye. Uh, we're going to listen to a quick song, Ebal, by Bone Post Orchestra. I've played the song a lot. Uh, and uh, then we'll be back for the second half of our show. And we'll be speaking with Phoenix the Techno Druid, who leads Project Receptor. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, uh, one of our joint projects and uh, another one uh, that is coming up on the horizon.
of Olympus. I'm Hercules Invictus and welcome to the second half of our show. Uh, Today is our Theurgy special and this segment is titled The Gifts of Hermes. Our first guest is Phoenix the Technodruid of Project Preceptor. Greetings and welcome Phoenix. I'm honored to have you on board. You as well. You as well. And wow, it, it has been busy. It has been busy. Um, the elegy. I'm sorry. Uh, share how busy it's been. Um, well, okay. So, um, I've actually in the past two months, I have moved my career pretty much out of local W2 and, um, onwards. I'm actually helping out. I'm actually going to be directly assisting Okay, so with the new hourly, well, it's not hourly, it's salary for once. With the new gig, I'm going to be directly assisting uh, Utah's um, medical legalization, you know, one of those facilities, and I'm actually going to be providing security. Um, That comes comes with a twist, which I'll get to in a second, which is kind of funny because – the thing that I've been talking to everybody about the stock stuff, uh, and you, know, you included as a method of how we are going to bring that hardware out out to the East Coast to like be spewing surgically clean water all over the streets of New York and Newark. That would be that would be cool. That would be that that has been on my bucket list. So yeah, no, that's taking a step further, or that's actually taking a giant leap closer. In the fact that um, the new, the new, um, I guess you could say the new hustle would be the term out there. Yeah, I mean you have your you have your quote unquote day job, and then you have your side hustle. The new the the side hustle is selling stock stuff, and and ultimately getting into it alongside of the person who actually paid to legalize out here in Utah. Which okay. That's still in court. So, yeah, yeah. Paul Paul is a very, very, very wise man. Um, you know, he might be he might be for the for the business segment. He might be definitely a really good guest. Okay. Um, okay. So Perceptor. Okay, one of the things that we set aside Perceptor to do. Well, before it was Perceptor, even. 
Um, last visit out there, Hercules. Uh, one of the things that we set aside to do was to figure out how we get rid of the GMO and stuff. And I mean that this is this is, this for optimal wellness is, pardon the term, a Herculean size quest. And you know, I'm I'm kind of glad I got you on my wing on this one. Uh, but um, no, um, I figure I figure in eight to sixteen generations, at least this is the first hypothesis. Monsanto and all of those all of those nasty organizations have their own thing, and this is how they come after people. It's called a utility patent, right? If they've if they've modified the seed or if the seed presents enough of a difference, say like the stuff you, the stuff that's native to Alaska, um, you can start it in 40-degree weather, would kill anything else on the spot. Um, if it presents enough of a genetic difference to form a utility, you can apply for what is called a utility patent. So, you know, so can grandma with her one breed of tomatoes or whatever that she's been raising. So the first hypothesis, the first thing is, the first part of this is underway. And as far as um, theology goes, I've found a very interesting thing. I mean, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of the rest of our crowd goes to a certain place meditatively when they seek to do disclosure work or field work, as they call it, in in disclosure. That same place is a good place to meditate on invention. What? How can I improve this to to benefit the world? Can you hear me, Herc? Okay, so I'm not aware, I'm not sure if the podcast can hear me, so I'm not going to leave it with dead air. Um... Let's see. For I, I was listening for a little while before Her, Hercules patched me in. The one thing I could add to that would be find. It's kind of like Les Brown said. Find the find your space. As the find find a place. Be, they would say, be strong with Siddhartha in your mental palace. When you get there, and I'm living proof of this, when you get there, you can move mountains. You can definitely move mountains. Now, wondering if you can hear me. Can you throw me some sort of like a sign in messenger, even? 
Okay. Um, if I've still got audio on the show, I'm dropping and dialing back in. Hopefully that will restart. That will restore our fearless host because I cannot hear him. Hello? Greetings. How are you, Phoenix? Hey, how much of that did you catch? Um, I was able to catch some of it, but uh, the system disconnected. There have been problems on Blog Talk Radio now, and they've even announced, uh, um, not today, but they announced uh, for the past couple of shows that they were having uh, difficulties. So uh, this, again, this is just a, a a gentle reminder to progress past where we currently are. And although... uh, um, people we've established a place on Blog Talk Radio. I'm going to have to find other ways of uh, recording the show. So that was part of uh, what we're going to touch upon tonight. Uh, but I wasn't able to connect. It took several attempts to connect uh, um, with uh, uh, the board again with you. I saw what you had written, and uh, I could hear half of what you said <laughs> while I was okay. Okay. Now, um, one of the things that people don't uh, realize. Uh, is how long it takes for things to happen. We touched upon this yesterday when uh, we had Linda Garibrand on, uh, that uh, her current success, uh, which seems lucky to many people, uh, took decades to to actualize where there weren't uh, there wasn't luck, there were maybe failures. So uh, one of the secrets of success is you keep failing until you succeed and just don't give up. Uh, and that's a common theme that's uh, come out. And you're one of the people I know who doesn't give up. So I've seen your ideas uh, take uh, shape, and I've seen you attempt very many things, and some of them uh, have succeeded better than other things, but you're persistent, and you keep moving uh, forward. So I'm very glad to hear you have new opportunities. And uh, you are also uh, one of the few people uh, who have traveled here to New Jersey uh, and its environs, so you're very aware of, uh, uh, you know, several situations uh, here within your sphere of uh, expertise. Now, um, we had talked with uh, Nick Curdo, who is not available today, um, about uh, gardens. So we started on that path. We have a garden in our homes. We have a garden in our front lawn. Uh, now we have a greenhouse, and we're learning the, you know, the ins and outs of greenhouses, which uh, we're ignorant of. Uh, but, uh, again, we're learning and we're moving uh, forward with that. And uh, I thank you for what you sent on uh, forming communities around gardening, and I'll be uh, contacting them and implementing uh, some of those uh, suggestions in the, the days ahead. But water has always been your uh, passion, cleaning the water. And uh, that is something that uh, you know, falls under my epiphany, and I will be dedicating time and energy towards that. 
So uh, I guess since I lost half of you saying you might have addressed this already, but I'd like to uh, start that aspect of everything soon. So how would you suggest we start purifying the water? What do we need to do? Out there, um, I've always been very, very partial to extreme heat distillation. Um, okay. You, you remember you remember in the first Treskill event and when um, – I don't know what possessed me to to spin to just spin up and how would I do this if the system falls? But um, uh, extreme heat extreme heat works really well. Now there are several and with with especially with the heat with the ambient heat out there and it being summertime, there are several ways. I mean, you can purify. I mean, you're talking we're talking about. Um, what was what was the name of that river that I had to cross over to get to Hoboken? Oh, I don't remember. Uh, here we have the Tenekil, which isn't really a river. It might have been at one point, but it's a stream now. Um, I don't remember the name of the the river that you crossed over. This is like a yeah. I mean, this is like a full blown river, and it was on the direct route to Hoboken, um, where I was staying for. For the for everybody else, this is where I was staying in uh, Run Three. Um, okay. So now, hold on. Let me. Part of my automated routine is is starting, so I needed to hop out of that room really quick. Um. Okay, so water extreme heat distillation is the way that we that we're looking at doing it on a utility scale. What, I okay. mean, we're talking, we're talking, we're talking at bare minimal 1600 degrees, which for that standing tower out in Las Vegas, where they have all the mirrors and the mirrors focus the light up on the top of the tower. And you have like um, two, two cubic miles of mirrors, you know, or something. That okay. uh, very much, very much like our, um, Archimedes uh, Ray. Very much like Archimedes Ray, um, that you can heat, you can heat stuff up. Um, we are looking at a means of getting it much hotter than uh, what we've been able to do with concentrated solar, at around two thousand degrees Fahrenheit. Um, at that point. Actually, anything over about fifteen hundred, you would think the water would enter a hyper, uh, uh, kind of like a hyper solid. Uh, at that point, it, you get what's called flash steam or explosive steam. Okay. It's not gonna uh, at that level. It's not going to hold on to any of its pollutants, is what we've found. And when we're doing this on the utilities on the utility scale. Um, which is going to be very quickly what the what the side hustle evolves into a second job doing is actually dropping these plants to do this. Um, you, yeah, I mean the the pollutants that are in the water tend to drop out mm-hmm. in a solid form, and you can just drop them off into a tray, whatever, just right after you've. Right after you've gotten the whatever you whatever pneumatic value you can out of this flash steam, flash steam so far has been the answer for us, though. So, 
given the fact that these rivers are, are vast, um, how would you go about uh, applying the steam, and what would this do to the ecology of, of these rivers? Because, uh, you know, even though the rivers are, are very polluted, there are things living in the rivers. And I'm yeah, sure the temperatures make... that you're describing would adversely affect uh, uh, the, the, the life in the rivers. Well, certainly, if you put it if you put it out into if you put the if you put the steam right back out into the river, yeah, you're going to raise to the ambient temperature of the steam. No, you would want to run it through. Um, you would want you would want to run it through whatever type of heat exchange hardware that you possibly can. Um, mm-hmm. At at work uh, at work, we make a great one. Um, it's not the only one that's out there, though. Um, Mhm. And yeah, the same thing. The same thing goes with a, a pneumatic transfer. Uh, we make a great one. Uh, we make a great turbine, but it's not the only one out there. Um, you would definitely want to make sure that that uh, that the water that the steam first off condenses back into water first first off. And you've gotten everything you can possibly push by way of a turbine out of the way. And, you know, this would, this also helps in cooling it down because the energy, you know, part of the energy from the heat that is transfer, that is making the flash steam or the explosive, you know, what the, when I say flash steam uh, for our listeners, um, what I'm talking about is the stuff that blows boiler pipes. Um, when you heat water to a certain point, typically eight, nine hundred, a thousand degrees, and it starts to appear to have much more kinetic energy than it would coming off of your stovetop. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, you would definitely want to cool that back down to whatever the ambient temperature is that uh, you pulled it out of the river. You would want to have, and, and let's say, instead of the Hudson, which is my goal, um, let's, say, let's say that little river between you and Hoboken. Um you know, it took, it was probably 300 feet from bank to bank, and I went across it on a bridge. Uh, the bridge was just south of your location, and it was uh, it was actually a highway that I was kind of shadowing alongside. So if that helps. Okay. Me, south, I'm looking uh, uh, here for Hoboken, Hoboken Rivers. Well, keep talking, keep talking, because I. But yeah, okay. So that river, that river, you would figure is going to be ten, fifteen feet deep, and three hundred feet from side to side. Um, every nine pounds of that is a gallon of water. Is um, okay. Or you know you can scoop in you can scoop in a bucket and pull out five gallons. Either way, either way, um, at work doing either concentrated solar or. Um, electrically produced either way, then, um, okay, perhaps I just sidestepped myself here. Um, yeah, you would want, okay, so yeah, you would want to have everything come back into the river at the temperature you pulled it out at. Now, what you can, okay. what comes back into the river is going to be devoid of life. So um, if I were the end user, 
I would definitely advise t- some type of a screen or filter, you know, pre-filter mechanism, right? Not enough to clog up the system, uh, but I mean, with really hot water, you can, you have a lot of a lot of kinetic energy. So right. I mean, it's not good. It doesn't take as much water to turn these things as people think. Um, yeah, you have a lot of kinetic energy and. Everything, every, I mean, everything, be it, be it like a um, tardigrade, a water bear, uh, you know, is the only thing that I can think that would even remotely survive the, survive the process uh, with it, go with the, with the system going in low gear. Um, you want you filtration, standard filtration systems, make sure you ain't got trash or stuff that's too big. And be aware that whatever, whatever, I mean, typically you can use it for fertilizer when it comes out for your gardens, okay. your lawns, whatever. In the case of, um, Nick was saying something and it touched base on something that um, had, was part of an earlier discussion, but uh, Nick was saying, uh, Nick was saying something about uh, New York and uh, the, Water reclamation underneath New York is full of stuff like well, individual medications and stuff. Just because people excrete that, it also when they flush their when they flush their bottle of meds, like they're through taking it, all that stuff goes uh-huh. down into the sewers. And where where I char where I where I think I chimed chimed in at was uh, yeah I remember reading something about. Um, Different types of fungus are taking that apart at the molecular level and reconstructing it into super versions of itself, like it was something that it was always supposed to be. And we all had a chuckle because that would be like super concentrated Percocet or super concentrated Prozac. You could you could medicate you could medicate an entire township to do much more than just meditate. You okay. know, it shouldn't require chemical assistance at all. Um, yeah, I mean, stuff like that will fall out in what in in what comes out of the of your of your uh, steam drive steam driven parts of your machinery. Um, okay, and you would you would probably very wise to collect it because even if you can't use that as fertilizer, say like. Um, I don't know. Like you were pulling this stuff out of Utah Lake. Uh, we had uh, two years ago a problem with an algae bloom. If you could have just pulled water like this out of Utah Lake and recirculated it, yeah, okay. You might part of the microcosm might have been suffering for a minute until it realized it had clean water, but the macrocosm, um, all that all that lethal algae is going to be cooked at over a thousand degrees now it's fertilizer okay. now you can grow plants uh now you can wrap it up and uh wrap this substance up in um bamboo not bamboo coconut um sheets you know what i'm talking about Herc. for for growing um, I- it's like when you for sprouts and stuff you get the two okay. coconut sheets and you put the tomato tomato seeds in the middle of them and these things, these things, it's like you grow sprouts. They're 
several guerrilla growing operations out in your neck of the woods, actually, that yeah, make here, themselves here very... Sprouts, uh, the the that I'm familiar with Sprouts is uh, uh, basically glass bottles underneath uh, your sink. And <laughs> as long as you change the water, um, it won't get moldy. Uh, you'll have endless amounts of Sprouts. You'll, you'll be giving away Sprouts uh, uh, in addition to eating lots of Sprouts. We've already Wait, given away you, tomatoes. So. You're, okay, so you're serious. You're serious. They, people are, like, making uh, edible solid additions, and you're able to, do, with the temperature and the humidity and all that, you're able to do it under the sink? Yeah, in in the past. Right now we're not doing uh, sprouts, but in the past I have. And uh, huh. I, that's how I did it, under the sink. I used to make pickles, too, but now uh, because I'm diabetic, uh, I'm very sensitive to salt. Uh, so pickles yeah. are out of the equation, but I used to make for years. I used to make like different types of pickles, and I used to grow sprouts underneath the uh, the sink, and I uh, got really proficient at it. And again, we had more sprouts than uh, we knew what to do with, and uh, we'd be giving away, you know, sprouts and tomatoes and things to anybody who wanted them. Um, and uh, the information you sent me on like community gardening. Uh, and building community for gardening has been invaluable, and uh, that's something I oh, definitely plan on uh, implementing uh, once our our gardens are uh, functioning more uh, uh, smoothly, or you know, producing more vegetables and herbs and things like that. So uh, uh, I'm really sold on this, and I, I really think that if we um, pursue that. Uh, it will solve a lot of the problems that we have now with uh, vegetables and GMOs and things like that. See, I'm of a very firm conclusion. Um, the world, the world doesn't necessarily want to be saved. Um, it wants to be loved, and it needs to have okay. the you know you, the, the the value of you know, self-love even from, let's say, let's go way the far, way, 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 way out in left field, way far out there. And, um, oh, MIB dude. That's a, that's a, um, that's a, very, that's a very interesting uh, perspective. And uh, um, that, that is a very astute uh and uh, what's happening now with uh, some of the Argonauts, uh, you know uh, Michael and Diane Duncan. Yes. They've started like a religion of love, and uh, other Argonauts have incorporated love into what they're doing, including myself. Um, I try and be as loving as I possibly can uh, with uh, everybody. Um, and it does have an impact on the world. So that's a very interesting uh, observation. Uh, uh, maybe we're going, going at things all wrong. Maybe we should focus more on that. You know, um, from the N-word, from the N-word standpoint, from the N-word standpoint, um, let's, let's use Will Smith as an example. Sorry, it took me just a second to remember his name. Uh, okay. Uh, with, with his, with, in his published motivational media, he defines self-love as, oh man, I, you know, that, that, that hamburger, that cheeseburger or, in deference, in deference to the city out there, um, that stop down at that stop over at Cucci Fritos, uh, yeah, over in over on the New York side, you know, it may taste great, but self love is that's going to make you feel like crap later. I can't let you eat that. Okay, and being able to tell yourself that, 
yeah, okay. it, it'll be good right now, but you know, I, or another thing, another thing, and with me, I've discovered, I'm starting to, I discovered this a while ago, but it's really starting to hit home now. It's all, life is belief systems. They, you know, they, right. they say, they say your, it's all BS. Your, your, it really is. Your, your experience of life is determined by your beliefs because they, they help you interpret uh, what's going on. So it, it is very true. If you change the way you look at things and uh, change your beliefs, uh, you'll have a different experience uh, of life. It is all belief systems, you know, uh, and, and the, and the, the joy, you know, the joy is to go around and understand all, you know, all the other systems. I mean, not necessarily be a traveling minstrel because you're going to, yeah, you have about enough time on the surf to shake hands with everybody before yeah, you're going to end up going home. <laughs> you know, there, there's 7 billion people. So, and right. here's, here's another thing where um, be true to your direction. With with me, my direction has always been tackling these huge problems that nobody even knows where to start to look at. Uh, does anybody think that I did? <laughs> you know, um, and well, in all of the, I, I yeah, I haven't known you for your whole life, but I've known you for a good long while now, and uh, you always uh, seem to focus on finding uh, creative solutions. Uh, to the uh, challenges uh, confronting you, and you've been very consistent with that. Find the biggest one always. You know, find, uh, the, this is this is true. This is true. Um, whether you're whether you know, this is true with Boys in the Hood, and this is true with uh, this is true with tackling big problems like um, clean water, um, solving a city's power needs. Um, you know, you you find the biggest person there, and that's who you know. That's who you go up to talk to. That's definitely who you go up to talk to. I mean, um, I'm not I'm not fond of thorium, but one thing that is one thing that is in the well, actually, I'm not fond of any type of a nuclear reactor on planet. They're wonderful in space. Okay. Um, the the quest the quest to go down to Indian Point actually might have um, not the intended victory march, but um, one of the one of the things one of the things on the mission list next time I go out there might actually be going to talk to the CEO of whatever company is running that, or you know the biggest person there at Indian Point. And hey, dude, what about thorium? Um, we know we know somebody that wants to mess with this. We don't want to mess with this because of what it is. You mess with this every day, day in and day out. What can you make of this? You know, you find the biggest person there. Um, plus, uh, plus, on the disclosure standpoint, I've been hearing some interesting things about. Um, either side of the river at Indian Point. You still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Yeah, I, I haven't been to okay. Indian Point for many years. Um, but, uh, again, again nobody, accused, nobody can accuse you of thinking small. <laughs> so. No, no, no. 
No, and I mean, you know, it's very, it's very much like uh, I am with my kids, very much like you are with yours. We've got to leave them behind a legacy, um, and we've got to leave them right. behind a good legacy, something they can aspire to. Because they, they, how did Yoda put it? They are, they are. No, we are what they grow beyond. Right. In both of our and, cases, uh, that's a tall order. We have to remember that they're their own individuals, and uh, that yeah, uh, of course. <laughs> uh, even with all our best intentions, uh, we become the obstacle that uh, they must move past in order to grow and become uh, independent people on their own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, I can uh, I can definitely see that on a day to day. Um, okay, so um, other other side effects of other side effects of current projects. Now, um, did you guys did it cut off while I, when I started talking about utility patents? Had you guys heard that? No, I did not hear that. That that was when it went dead, and I, I couldn't connect to it yet. Then at one point, I was able to connect, but you couldn't hear me, but I could hear you. And uh, you were on live, so you know people could hear you, but I couldn't uh, communicate with you. And then uh, I tried another way. Uh, I was just basically redialing in and signing in as a host on my telephone, though, instead of on the computer, and that worked. I was going to say, let, let's see if we can anger Monsanto twice in a single show. Uh, are you ready? Um, okay. Now, uh, okay, so the way they come after you is through something called the utility patent, right? If you've made okay. what, what is the utility patent? You is, is a type of a patent you can apply for if you've made significant changes. Like if we made a beefsteak tomato that could survive at 40 degrees, that would be a right. utility. That would, that, that would be a utility. And that's actually in in the project that I told you about over the phone. Um, that that is actually the first stage. Um, now, yeah, if you you would have a utility, you could apply for a utility patent. Now, you, at that point, you could choose to do with the seeds whatever you choose to do. Um, utility patents are made in experimental situations where you don't know what the outcome of it is going to be in 10 years, which those patents last for 10 years. So if you play, and then after the 10 years that it enters the uh, public domain. Yeah. But this could be like 10, this could be like uh, revision one where they did revision one through revision 10 in a single year. And now in 10 years, you're at revision 1000 and the seeds from revision one, which are pretty much obsolete because although they're a little bit more heirloom than whatever genetic modification went into revision 1000, you know, they're obsolete um, or some, for some reason, something's not going to grow. Um, the neonicotinoid, um, Stuff like uh, glyphosate, Monsanto's uh, Monsanto's pride and joy. 
near uh, they it's killing the bees uh but it also does wonderful wonder because insects can't do nicotine it's it's a neurotoxin to them. okay um it's like okay so you know that's why they that's why they have nicotine smoke in the bee in the bee things when they smoke out the hive put the hive to sleep that's because just okay. flying through the stuff, that bee got drunk and is now a drunk driver. It's going to go home and crash out. <laughs> okay. Um, and, you know, the same thing. I mean, and if you use extremely concentrated, like um, like um, a halon ring did for stimulants, if you extremely concentrate the, something like that, that dose, that flying through that dose of whatever, even though it's in a, it's, it's in a monomolecular mist, you know, you can't tell it apart from the oxygen you're breathing. Uh-huh. Then you're still, you, you know, that is going to be like a supercharged dose, 16, 18 times per molecule. What you, what you, what the bee would have gotten flying through the cigarette or tobacco smoke in the little smoking device or smoker smoke spreader and that bee is just going to follow or fall over dead so yeah glyphosate is very bad and they've been trying to make it so that the, they've been trying to genetically engineer so that the plants can take the glyphosate the bugs cannot and okay. the, the, the theory is we're going to have perfect crops well um, for that, for that practice? I challenge do what? What's well, the practice? That's a theory. Yeah, the practice. What's the reality? Is, uh, What's the reality that I'm seeing? Um, that mm-hmm. I'm seeing by 2050, one in every two people is going to have autism. I'm not sure. Oh, wow. Causality. Causality does not condemn. You know, you can't. You cannot condemn off of a. Causality does not equate, in fact, equate causation. Is what I'm looking. Is what the word I was looking for. But okay. um, you, if you also see how many of these odd allergies that, as a species, that we haven't had to deal with for thousands of years, hundreds of years at least, these odd allergies keep popping right back up. That's because we're changing from a system that our bodies are used to. Um, that's because that's be, um, uh, these genetic. You are what you eat, obviously. Right. Um, that's why they say do not eat pig. Well, if you're eating an animal that um, whose organs, in extreme circumstances, can replace your own, isn't that a little bit too close to your genome? <laughs> you know. And this is why uh-huh. this is why people this is why this is why these religions um I don't you know nobody had genetics back in the day but um this is this is the, this is what can be and remind, mind you mind you I'm still very fond of bacon myself um okay but but um yeah that's why they say do not eat this in massive quantities um, fish or fish, I mean, land animals, fish are, fish are far enough removed. And at least in the Christian Bible, they say, eat fish, eat a lot of fish, eat all the fish you can eat. Uh, you know, 
obviously you don't want to like overload it with salt. Otherwise you get people popping up with uh, intolerance to salt. You, uh, you just said it messes with your diabetes. Yeah. Um, as, as, an example, as an example of what all is going on. Now, um, last time I was out there, you were also saying something about um, the nitrate. I think you were saying nitrates in the water. Or some type Nitrates of, uh, in food some... have been bothering me because uh, I followed for a very long time. Now I'm modifying it because uh, one of the uh, uh, things about uh, type 2 diabetes is it keeps you on your toes. So a diet will work um, and a way of eating will work until the day it doesn't. So um, I yeah. was following a lot of the Atkins principles, which allows for you to eat, uh, uh, I guess, uh, more dubious uh, meats. Um, and uh, then the nitrates started bothering me. So things like uh, sausages and uh, occasional like uh, um, hot dogs. Now, we get the best quality of these, you know, um, they, uh, in bacon, uh, they started uh, bothering me. So I can very seldom have those uh, now. And even, again, the more healthier, like uh, chicken sausages with a low sodium, uh, I still have uh, some difficulty with them, so I, I've been eliminating them from my uh, um, routine. And the diabetes has been both a blessing and a curse, a curse in the fact that it limits me a great deal, but uh, a blessing in the sense that it has forced me to really, really, really uh, be aware <laughs> of what I'm eating and how it's affecting me. So um, it, it is challenging, and there are a lot of uh, changes, but that's just part of the... Uh, my my life uh, for a while now and uh, for the rest of it. So I just uh, have to learn yeah. from it and adjust to it. Um, I'm looking at the clock, and we don't have uh, that much more time today, but uh, we've been talking about uh, this Hermes show for a long time, and it finally started to today. So uh, now in four, we have 90 seconds. Um, so anyway, this will continue, and we'll have a format for the next one. And uh, I will be changing how I record shows so we won't have as many of the problems that we've been encountering uh, lately with this particular uh, platform. And uh, I'm looking forward to hearing what results you had with your experiment of broadcasting simultaneously. So that will be a phone call uh, tomorrow. I was going to say the computer the computer coughed on that one. Uh, so, yeah, definitely we'll have to actually tune it in tomorrow. Um, I'll talk to you soon about that one. Okay, be well, my friend. I will talk to you soon. Thank you again for helping me uh, launch uh, a new show, and thank you for being my friend. Always. Same goes. Hug the fam, and it's an honor to be here. Same here. Take care, Phoenix. I'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. And thanks to all who joined us from home. I apologize for the technical difficulties. We are working on it. Uh, Until next time, this is Hercules and Phoenix wishing you joyous journeys and great adventures. (coughs) And let's see if I can get the music uh, to work right now. (laughs) Take care, everybody. There we go. Olympian blessings to all who have joined us on our adventure. Now, go forth and create a better world, one filled with light and love. On behalf of the pride of Olympus and her crew, may your journeys be joyous.